Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey, Connect. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris, get to serve on the team here, and just thrilled that you decided to join us today for worship, to learn from God's Word. We're in our all-in series, all about following Jesus together. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to go all-in and follow Jesus together with our money, which is challenging because it's personal. Money feels personal. Uh, We... Money's a big part of our lives. Uh, We work to earn money. We talk with our spouse about money. Some of us even lose sleep about money. But you know the last place we want to talk about money? It's the church. Because for many of us, it has felt like all the church wants is my money. And I don't know what your experience has been, but my guess is if I had your experience, I'd probably feel the way you do when money comes up in church. But I want you to know something on the front end. Uh, Like you, I don't like being asked for money. And I don't even like asking people for money. I remember back in school when we had to do fundraisers or for our sports team or whatever, we had to do these fundraisers. I hated them because I don't like asking people for money. I don't like how it makes me feel. I don't like how it makes them feel. And what I want to be really, really clear about today is at Connect, we're not asking anything from you but we do want something for you. Because at Connect, we believe that whoever follows Jesus finds life. And Jesus Jesus had a lot to say about money because he knows that money is a big part of our lives. Now, the funny thing is, when we get baptized as our first step in following Jesus, we don't get baptized like this with our wallet out. But it's tempting to live like it. You see, Jesus, when he invites us to follow him, it's not an invitation for just like some of us, some part of us or some number of us. The invitation to follow Jesus is for all of us to go all in together and follow him. And that includes our money. Jesus had a lot to say about money because he knew it was a big part of life. And he didn't shy away from this because he loves people a lot. He loves you a lot. He loves me a lot. And when it comes to money, Jesus knew a couple of things. He knew that money and our heart are very closely tied together. And he knows that God's way for managing money is the best way, the wisest way for managing money. Thus, Jesus taught very freely, very openly, very regularly about money. So we talk about money at work, we talk about money at home, let's talk about money at church so that together we can follow Jesus in this way, as challenging as it may be. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Mark 10. We're going to look at verses 17 through 31. If you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the back. We've also got a church app. You can follow along there. You can take notes there. Now, like a team at halftime, we're being reminded that we're not merely fans of Jesus. We are followers of him. We are on team Jesus, and we are all in with him. Fans, fans are enamored with Jesus. 
They like to cheer for Jesus, but as followers, we're on his team. We're in the trenches with him. We're on the field with him. Followers, while fans, excuse me, while fans, they're going to they're gonna run. They're going to they're gonna get out of Dodge. They're leaving the stadium when it gets tough. Followers are different. Because they're on the team, they know it's going to be tough, but they choose to follow Jesus anyway. And that's the kind of people we are. We know that whoever follows Jesus finds life. And Jesus says that that life, while it is full, while it is abundant, he also says that it's going to be challenging at times. And for some of us, that might be, have to do with what we're talking about today. And the reason Jesus is talking about money, and the reason we're talking about it today, is because Jesus wants our heart. He doesn't need our money, but he wants our heart. So let's pray, and let's ask that he would give us open hearts to hear what he wants to say to us. Lord, we come before you, and we thank you for anything that you've given us, all of it, Lord. And we would ask that right now you would give us an open heart, open ears, an open mind to hear uh, and understand and embrace what you want to say to us. So, Lord, would you move, would you speak, both through your word and through this message, and we, we give you all the glory. In your name we pray, amen. The account we're about to look at is just uh, days, like a week and a half probably, before Jesus was arrested, crucified, and then rose again. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem when this happened. Mark records this encounter, and, well, let's just read it together. As Jesus started on his way toward Jerusalem, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Very few people describe themselves as rich. Have you ever met someone and they're like, hi, I'm Joe and I'm rich. I certainly don't think of myself as rich, and yet I have a pantry at home stocked with food. We've got a bed for everyone in our family. We, we even have a house attached to our house for our not one but two cars. By the world standards, I'm rich. I'm very rich. And that raises the alarm for me because as I read this passage, that's a, that could be a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a barrier, that's a challenge, that's something that needs to be overcome if I'm to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus did not say that it's, it's wrong to be rich or that it's sinful to be rich, but Jesus did say this, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich 
to enter the kingdom of God. Point being, it's impossible for the rich like myself to enter the kingdom of God on our own. It's impossible on our own. What are the, what are the rich good at? Well, the rich are good at earning. They're good at acquiring. That's why they're rich. And you want to know, fun fact, when the, the rich young ruler, when he asks his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That word do, it could also be translated earn or acquire. Uh, this guy thought that his impressive resume was going to be his ticket to heaven. All that he earned, that he acquired, he could do it more, whatever. He thought that's how he was getting to heaven. I mean, he's rich. It's what he's good at. He's good at earning. He's good at acquiring. But Jesus is like, not so fast. Uh, we read it earlier in this series. But in Luke 14, Jesus uh, said this, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Uh, fans like Jesus, but, but followers of Jesus are all in with him. Everything they have, all that they are, is Jesus's. They, they hold back in any area of life. It's wholehearted, complete surrender. So Jesus knew what was holding this rich young ruler back and said to him, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus invited the rich young ruler to sacrificially give all that he had, just to give it away so that it no longer had power, influence, anything like that in his life. And once he had given it away and, and the throne of his heart was free, then, then he could follow Jesus and let Jesus be the Lord of his life. You know, he, he trusted in all that he earned. He, he trusted in what he had acquired. But if he gave it away, it would mean that he's trusting in Jesus. But verse 22 tells us, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And, and you know what? It makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, this guy had all kinds of money. Says he had great wealth. And you know what the thing about money is? Money gives us this feeling of godlike power. Uh, it gives us power, pleasure, prestige. All these things come with money. And because money gives us this feeling of godlike power, you know what we're tempted to do? We're really tempted to, to take God off the throne of our lives, sit there ourselves, and wave money as our scepter. Clean my house. Look at my car. Book my, book my master suite, and why don't you do a couple's massage on the beach while you're at it? We use money to get our way. And now money's not bad, but the love of money is. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, having money is not bad, but money gives us this feeling of godlike power. And when, because it does that, what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to earn more money and acquire more money as if that's the way to the good life. And the, the funny thing about it, while it gives us this feeling of godlike power, when we get caught in that, that hamster wheel of more, 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 very soon we become a slave 
to money. It has a grip on us. Gri greed literally grips us. We can't get enough. Another, another type of person I've ever met is someone who's like, yeah, I, I, I'm good. I don't need any more. Very few people are content like that. You ask the average person, they're always like, yeah, if I could just make this much more, then I'd be happy. They make that much more. And then it's like, well, if I could just make this much. Greed grips us, and it's a horrible master. Now, it's impossible for the rich, like me and you, to enter the kingdom of God on our own. But there is good news, and Jesus shares it with his disciples next. You see, the, the rich young ruler, he chose money over God. But we don't have to make that choice. This is an invitation to us. Continuing now, Mark 10, 26 through 31. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, well, We've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You see, What's impossible for us is made possible for us by God. Our sin separates us from God. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can earn, nothing we can acquire to get us to heaven, to get us to the full presence of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his one and only son, Jesus, gave his one and only life so that we, you and me, we can now have life with God, now and forever. You see, Jesus went all in for us, and that's what actually enables us to be all in with him. And if Jesus is Lord, then nothing in our lives is off limits. Our family is his, our time is his, our finances are his, our life is is his. And more than anything, Jesus wants our heart. And he knows that like the young rule, that this young rich ruler, for many of us, money is what competes with Jesus for that place in our heart, for to, to sit on the throne, the one that he's our master, he's our Lord, he's our king, the one we follow. Often it's money that Jesus is competing with. Now, if we claim Jesus is Lord of our heart, then, then what would it even like look like to follow him with our finances? What would that look like? God's word teaches what it looks like to trust him with money. The foundational principle being that, that God is the owner of everything. And then throughout his word, starting way back in the Old Testament, God taught his people how to relate with him in the realm of money. And it started with this thing called the tithe. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 12 and 14, tithe. It means a tenth part, okay? It's like the first 10%. So could it be the, the first 10% of the harvest that they took in that year? It could be the, the first 10% of the land that was sold. Whatever it is, the first 10%, that's the tithe. And God instructed his people to give this first 
the tithe, back to him. And the way they did that is they brought it to the temple. And that money was used to uh, help the priests, to cover religious activities, care for those in need, all kinds of good things. But that wasn't the only thing God instructed his people to do. God also instructed his people to give offerings. These are our special gifts that go above and beyond the tithe. Uh, we see in the Old Testament, God's people giving offerings for all kinds of things. The building of their tabernacle, the building of the temple, repairs in the temple, rebuilding the temple, all kinds of good things. These are above and beyond the regular obedient giving of the tithe. The way I would uh, simply distinguish these two, the, the, the tithes and the offerings, would be that the, the tithe is obediently giving the first 10% back to God. And then offerings are giving above and beyond the tithe to be a part of what God is doing. Okay? Now you're like, Chris, why the Old Testament giving lesson? Like, don't you know? We're not under the law. We're under grace. I know. And Jesus said this about the law in Matthew 5. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And if you do any study and you look at Jesus' teaching around that, that verse I just read, or really his whole ministry, Jesus didn't lower the bar for his followers. He raised it. Because Jesus wants his followers' heart he doesn't want just some religious obligation. This isn't like just a duty. He's like, no, I want all of you, your whole being, I want you to be all in with me. That's, that's, the, that's the theme throughout all of Jesus' teaching, and the same is true when it comes to money. So yeah, you know, Jesus didn't explicitly say tithe, but he assumed it. And then he called his followers to more, to give sacrificially. I'll be the first to tell you that giving 10% back to God is hard. It is hard. And, and, and when I learned this principle for the first time, I didn't want to do it. Uh, my parents, my mom is very financially minded. She's an accountant, has been for uh, churches for as long as I can remember. And they taught all these financial classes out at churches and things, which meant we got them as kids at home. And I didn't love that as a five-year-old or a 10-year-old when I'd received my allowance. I don't remember when it was, but, you know, we receive an allowance, and then it was in part just to teach us, what do you do when you receive money? And the first thing we had to do as kids was give the first 10% back to God through our church. Now, I did that when I received an allowance. Then I did it in high school with my lawn mowing money, and I've been doing it every paycheck since. Not because I'm awesome, but because that's what God's word teaches. And my parents loved me enough to disciple me in the principles of God's word at a very young age. I hated it then. I'm so thankful for it now. So thankful for it now. Now, when Amanda and I uh, got, oh, let me, let me share this. So the, the journey, the journey's not always been easy, okay? Uh, in college, I had $50 a week to live on. That was kind of, I, I got to eat in the calf, so that helped, okay? But uh, for the rest of the week, like, I had $50 to live on. And I remember one Sunday, I think it was my freshman year of college, and the offering plate was being passed at church, and I put $5 in, and I didn't know what I was going to do that afternoon for lunch. Like, I had, I'm like, but I, I know this is what I'm called to do. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do it. 
that's when giving got real for me because I had to trust God. I had to depend on him. So then, you know, Amanda, we, we get married and I'm in seminary and we had to do these like growth plans because we wanted to grow in character qualities and things. And we had been blessed by people in our life who are really generous. So we were like, well, we want, we want to be generous people. What does the Bible say about generosity? Like, what does it look like to be generous? So I do all this study as part of my coursework and we have some conversations and we talk about like, okay, what's it going to look like? Like, what does our budget look like when it comes to generosity? And uh, we, we, we laid it out. All right, we're going to give the first 10% back to God through the church. And then we set aside another amount for offerings because we wanted to be a part of what our church was doing or supporting a friend's missions trip or things like that. And then we also, we had just, people had treated us to lunch or coffee or whatever. And we we're like, that was like, that just felt good. Like they were just being generous and kind. Like we want to be able to do that for others. So we set aside a little extra money each month to do that as well. And that's how we set up our budget from the beginning. Now, over the years, uh, we kind of grew comfortable, honestly. Like it was on auto pay, so it just kind of it just went. And while that's convenient, we just kind of got used to living on 90%, giving 10. And, when, and uh, it wasn't until our church in Maine was going through like this building initiative when our pastor challenged the whole congregation. We're sitting in it and He's like, I want you guys to pray about what it would look like to be all in with Jesus over these next two years as we, we take this step of faith together as a church. So we prayed and we talked and we felt like for a, a period of time, we need to raise the percentage that we're tithing. So we, we raised and we started to give this higher percentage. We committed to do this, not knowing that the years, those two years were filled with all kinds of life changes. Uh, Hannah was born, which meant Amanda cut way back at work, which meant she lied lost health insurance. Who knew that cost so much? I mean, the whole thing, the whole time. And, and we prayed some desperate prayers in that season, desperate prayers. And God was faithful. As he always has been, he was faithful then. And just as that campaign, that whole giving campaign wrapped up, God called us to move out here. And that took giving to like this whole new level. It's not just finances, it's a lifestyle. It's our home, it's our time. It's a life. We want to be more and more all in with Jesus. And we're still in process. We're still on the journey. But that's, that's the way giving works. Giving's a journey, just like following Jesus is a journey. And when we, when we take steps in giving, it, it's then that we actually grow in our relationship with God. You see, if, if, we're, if we're comfortable, we're stagnant. But it's in, it's in the stretching, that uncomfortable stretching, that we grow. And it's it, in that growth, it, we're depending on God, we're trusting him. And you know what we're seeing? We're seeing God show up in incredible ways, ways that only he can get the credit. So we give him the credit. Now, we're all at a different spot in the journey, but I want you to know this, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. He owns everything anyways but he does want your heart. And he knows, just like Jesus taught, that, that your heart and money are very closely tied together. Now, the evidence of a life that's all in with Jesus, it is so much more than, than a, a rote religious obligation gift. It is so much more than that. 
It's not like a, a duty. You see, Jesus, Jesus calls his followers to a joyful, sacrificial giving. I check this out. This, is, this account just is, if you're in Mark 10, flip over with me to Mark 12, okay? This, this account is, is just days after that rich young ruler came, the disciples observed that whole encounter, and then days later, the week Jesus dies on the cross, he's in the temple courts. And Mark records a different account. Listen to how it went down. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, unlike the rich young ruler just days before, on that particular day, Jesus is in the temple courts, and the rich, they're coming, and they're just putting all kinds of money into the temple treasury. Very public experience. They're like, you're looking at me? You seeing this? But Jesus, Jesus isn't impressed by the rich putting in large amounts. What Jesus draws his disciples' attention to is a poor widow who takes two small copper coins and, and puts them in. Two small copper coins. I mean, here's an image of all the different coins back then. You see, these two coins, they were worth next to nothing. I mean, she might have been able to buy a, 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 like a bath in the public bathhouse or a third of a loaf of bread. I mean, these are worth nothing to everyone else. But this was everything she had, all she had to live on, and she put it in. She gave those two small copper coins. Jesus brought his disciples' attention to this. Not because of the amount. You see, the world measures generosity by the amount given, but Jesus measures generosity by the level of sacrifice. So he's like, hey, guys, did you see that? She gave everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus assumed that his followers were going to do what all the rest of God's people were instructed to do. They were going to give tithes. They were going to give offerings. But Jesus didn't want some rote religious gift. He wanted their hearts. So he invited them to something more. Jesus raised the bar. He called them to give sacrificially. Because he knew what they were about to experience. Jesus, days later, was about to go all in for them, giving his life for them, for you, for me. And now we get to have life with him. Now, if Jesus is Lord, then, and when we claim to follow him, then here's the point. To release money's power over us, we give sacrificially in pursuit of God's purposes. The fastest way for money to lose its power over us is to give it away. It no longer has power over us. God's financial plan is genius. If you don't want to be a slave to money, give it away. You can bless someone else and you are freed in the process. Because we are freed from the grip of money as we give it away. Now, when we give it away, what it does is it demonstrates our trust in God, our worship of him, our dependence on him. 
So I, I have got a couple just questions for you, for you to think about for yourself. The first is, is Jesus on the throne of your heart? Or is something standing in the way? It, it could be finances like the rich young ruler. It could be something else. It could be your time. You don't want to give up your Sunday mornings. Could be your family. Could be a bunch of different things. For, for the guy in the account today, it was money. For a lot of us, it's money. But maybe it's something else for you. I don't know what your story is, but, but is Jesus on the throne of your heart? If not, why not? You should just know the answer to that question. And if he's not on the throne of your heart, but you want him to be on the throne of your heart, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. I'd love to just process whatever you're processing with you. We can grab coffee. We can connect after service. It doesn't matter. Even, I mean, even better, join a community group where you can you know, wrestle through all these things with a, a group of friends that you form. We, we're here to help you live like Jesus is on the throne of your life. Now, is Jesus on the throne of your life? If he is, then, then we should be all in and we should give like it. Uh, he gave his all for us, which means we now get to joyfully give in response. It's, it's our response to his gift to us. Our finances are his, our family is his, our time is his, our life is his. We are all in. We are not fans of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we know that we are blessed to be a blessing. Uh, we're generous with our time and our resources and we, we give freely to see God's mission advance, his kingdom go forth. We trust God to provide, so we follow his plan for finances, trusting that he knows best. Uh, we, we, we know that God's going to provide for whatever vision he gives us, for our families, for the church, all of it. We know that God's going to provide. He was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. And like Jesus, we measure generosity not by the size of the gift, but by the level of sacrifice, which is a high bar, but Jesus makes possible for all of us. All of us can live a life of sacrifice. All of us can represent Jesus in that way. And when we give, we do so to release money's power over us. And we do it sacrificially, and we, we are pursuing God's purposes. That's what this looks like. But you know what? We get to do it together. So I know this is hard, and I want you to know I'm right, I'm in the trenches with you, walking this out. We have not arrived in our giving journey, but we're in process, just like you all are in process. But together, I think we can be a generous people, and we can honor God with what he's entrusted to us, because we are all in with Jesus. Lord, we come before you, and we are, we're grateful that you've entrusted to us whatever you have. Our homes are yours, our cars are yours, our... Um, jobs are yours, that you give us the ability to earn money. And uh, would, you, would you forgive me, would you forgive us for holding too tightly to money? Even at times looking to money to do for us what really you alone should do. Would, would money or, or anything else, would nothing else be on the throne of our life, but Lord, would you be on the throne of our life? And would we follow you as such? Would we live so radically that those in our life, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, would look at our lives and be amazed? Not, not at like how awesome we are, but like that you've changed our hearts so much that we would live so different from the way everyone else is living.
And as we live this way, would it truly be a blessing to others, a blessing to our families and friends and neighbors and coworkers, this whole region, Lord? And would your kingdom go forth for your glory and not our own? We ask this in Jesus' name.